Start reading with me there in 1 John chapter 3 and in verse 16, verse 16, excuse me. Hereby we perceive, or excuse me, hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments, and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. This morning I want us to look at a confident heart. We've looked at several different aspects. Uh, uh, confidence through fellowship, confidence through confession, confidence through obedience. And this morning I want us to stop and look at what it means to have a truly confident heart. Father, I pray that you'll bless us this morning. I pray that you'll take these words and this passage and this text this morning and weave it into our hearts so that we might have confident, assured hearts as we go out to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I heard this week about a 90-year-old grandfather who was complaining to his grandson about getting old. He said, the worst part is the diapers. I don't mind wearing them, he said. It's just the name that I hate. Depends. If I had to wear a diaper, I don't, want to want, I don't want one that depends if it's going to work or not. And you know, sometimes in our Christian life, that's how our faith is. It's kind of a depends type of a faith. Well, it depends on what mood I'm in, or it depends how bad things get, or it depends how much rainy days are ahead of us, if our faith is really going to stand the test of time, if it's really going to uh, persevere through for the Lord. For some people, their salvation is a depends scenario. But John's letter in 1 John is written to build the confidence of believers. It is intended for you and I to read and to be sure or confident in our salvation. It's not a depends situation. It's a surety. It's a guarantee to be a success. It's guaranteed to work. In fact, it's wonderful as we get into this text this morning in John chapter 3 to see some of the parallels in Scripture. Well, John 3.16 says what? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but what? Should have everlasting life. Look here in 1 John 3.16 and see what it says. It speaks to that exact principle. Hereby perceive we the love of God because He laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. He's saying, look, our example was that Jesus Christ came and willingly laid down or gave up His life for us. You and I ought to do the same for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus, through salvation, has provided peace and confidence, assurance, the enjoyment of a Christian life, because of his gift of salvation. In fact, it was Jesus who said this, Peace I leave with you. 
My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. And by the way, think about that thought. Even in Jesus' day, peace accords didn't last. A peace agreements didn't stand the test of time. Peace was not really worth anything more than the hot air that it was breathed out of someone's mouth. Jesus said, I'm not giving you a temporary earthly peace that is not really worth the paper it's written on. He said, I'm giving you my peace. And the Bible tells us that his peace, what? Passes all understanding. It makes it through this test of time. He said, I give it unto you. Let not your heart be troubled in the same passage. Neither let it be afraid. When Christians feel a lack of peace or a lack of assurance in their heart over their salvation, it is because of disobedience and rebellion. It is because of sin that has crept into their lives. Go back and look in chapter 2 here in verse 3. The Bible says in chapter 2 and verse 3, And hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. Now come back to chapter 3 and verse 18. He says it yet again and he focuses on that confident heart that we're to have. In verse 18 he says this, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue. But what does he say? But in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. This is the idea God is saying through the, uh, the Apostle John here as he writes to us that confidence in your life, confidence in your heart builds as you obey Jesus Christ. Our assurance or our confidence as Christians depends on, I think, two things. One, my relationship and obedience to God. And two, my relationship with others. That's what he's here dealing with. Now, he's taken chapters 1 and chapters 2, and he talked about fellowship and obedience independently. But now what he's doing in chapter 3 at the end in particular is he's weaving them together and saying, listen, they are co-equal, they are co-dependent upon each other to have a truly confident heart day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. As you go through your Christian walk, obedience and fellowship with other believers strengthens your knowledge of your salvation. It doesn't strengthen your salvation. Once you're saved, you're always saved. And we'll look at that briefly this morning. But it strengthens your confidence in it, your knowledge of it, your ability to work out of that salvation. If I'm not right with God, you might say, my heart will accuse me. If I've not been living right by God, I will have that conviction that is there. If I'm not right with someone else, my heart accuses me. If I've done something against my spouse, or if I've uh, defrauded a brother, or if I've done something wrong against you, my heart will convict me of what is going wrong in my life. And we see that here in the person of the Holy Spirit, as we'll get to in just a moment. But with that in mind, with that wronging of someone in mind, think of Matthew chapter 5 and verse 23. Jesus was teaching in this passage in Matthew 5.23 about bringing our gifts to the altar. He said if you bring your alms, if you bring your tithes, your offerings, if you bring your gifts to church, and He says if you realize or understand there that you have ought against your brother, what does He tell the man to do? He says leave it there. Go to your brother and make it right. He said your relationship with fellow believers, your relationship with your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, with your spouse, with your children, with your parents, your relationship with them will ground you in your faith. will give you a confidence so that you can serve and worship with the right heart. An obedient Christian obeys God's commands and loves, as John says here, in deed and in truth. Now, with obedience and love as a foundation, let's look at three things this morning that we can flourish in as we walk with confidence 
with our God. Number one, we can grow or walk and flourish in the confidence that is found in the power of God. We can grow in the confidence that is found in the power of God. Look in verses 20 and 21, we see this. He says, For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence towards God. If your heart does not condemn you, he says, you can have a confidence with God. Sometimes our heart will, in fact, condemn us. Why? Because we have sin. This morning, maybe you're sitting in here and, and you're saying, well, Pastor, I, I just have this particular problem in my life. I have this sin and I just don't want to give it up. Well, if that's there, then you'll never have the full measure of the blessing of God in your life. Your faith will not be able to flourish as it ought to. Your confidence in your Savior and in your, in your saving faith cannot grow to the point that it needs to. I heard the story of a Sunday school teacher, and I'm always nervous about Drew growing up here in church and being his dad as a pastor, but I heard of a Sunday school teacher who was questioning her pupils after a lesson on God's omnipotence and His power. Now children, she asked, is there anything that God can't do? The pastor's son threw up his hand and shot it right up in the air, and the teacher thought, oh no, oh boy, what am I going to have to, what's going on here? So the teacher, feeling certain that she had missed the point of the lesson, or that the boy had missed the point of the lesson, kind of half-heartedly asked young Johnny, well, just what is it that God can't do, Johnny? He replied, I heard Dad say yesterday that even God can't make everybody at this church happy. <laughs> and sometimes we think that might be the, in fact the case. Everybody can't be happy with everything that's going on in church. And, and I've not said that, and Drew's not heard that from me, but uh, if he does ever does say it. But simply put, God's power sometimes in our life we limit, don't we? We put God's power in a little box and we say, well, we'll draw on that power when I want to or, or I'll come and get it. And what happens is because we have sin, because we have a rebellious attitude, because we keep things that we should not keep in our lives, when we go to draw on the power of God, it is limited. It can't be opened in its full measure. It can't be poured out like it ought to be. Matthew Henry said this, we have no sufficient strength of our own. All our sufficiency is of God. We should stir up ourselves to resist temptation in a reliance upon God's all-sufficiency and the omnipotence of His might. What Henry is saying there is that, listen, you and I ought to say no to ourselves and not rely on our sufficiency, but rather turn to the all-sufficiency of God. But you know, in our lives, we do just the opposite. God, I understand what preachers said. I understand what I read in my devotions. I understand what the Bible says. I understand about this all-sufficiency that is supposedly out there for me. But I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to accomplish it how I see fit. And we all know what that's like. We all have trusted in our own strength. But Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us not to lean into our own understanding. But in all our ways, acknowledge Him and He shall what? Direct our paths with His power. He will guide us. Letter A, God is greater than our hearts. What a wonderful statement that is. I want to take just a few moments and, and really kind of park on this thought. God is greater than your heart. God is greater than my heart. You say, well, Pastor, I'm kind of scratching my head this morning. I'm not really certain what that means. Do you mean he's bigger than that? Okay, I would agree to that. He's bigger than my heart. What I'm really referring to here and really what John is talking about here is the nature in which we are saved. You know why we lack confidence? It's because this scenario plays out. I sin, 
I do something wrong. I feel convicted. I don't deal with it properly, or I don't handle it the way the Bible says. And so that problem compounds. Now I've done the first wrong, and I've also, as the Bible says, whatsoever is not a faith is sin. I've compounded it by having a second sin by not handling that sin in faith. And so now I've got two sins that are there. And as time goes on, I kind of now get down in the dumps and despondent. And, and maybe even Christian depression kind of sets in, and I've drawn farther and farther away from God. So that the point now that I look at it and I say, bam! Was I even saved to begin with? Did I ever truly put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ? And what John here writes is, listen, feelings have nothing to do with your conversion. That's what he's writing about. Feelings have nothing to do with your conversion. Now, I would not dismiss your dealing with sin. You ought to deal with your sin and deal with it quickly. We ought to keep short accounts with God. But what John here is saying is that, listen, God is greater than my feelings of inadequacy. God is greater than my feelings of shortcomings in my life. God is greater than my failures as a Christian. That's what he's talking about. And so as we understand the confidence that we can have in the power of God, it is rooted in the fact that God is greater than our heart. His mercy is greater. 1 John 1, 9, as we have looked at, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. There's not one sin that God can't forgive you. There's not one sin. Well, you don't understand what's going on between me and my wife. I may not. But God does. And He can forgive it because He's forgiven it before. You don't understand what's going on between me and my parents. I hate them. I've never told them, but I hate them. God can overcome that. God is greater than your heart. You don't understand what's going on in my life. I'm dishonest in business every day, preacher. I put on a front here, but, but every day I cheat a little bit. And every day I kind of uh, steal a little bit of time here and there. I'm not a good person. God's greater than your heart. Do you know who wants to keep you in defeat? The old devil. He wants to keep you down. He wants to keep you unwilling to serve God. But God says here through the Apostle John, I am greater than your heart. It's kind of like the old picture in the Old Testament tabernacle. The uh, tabernacle is there. The Ark of the Covenant contained in those tables. And Brian and I were talking about this just the other day. He was reading it. And I, I'm jealous sometimes that I'm not a, a craftsman or <laughs> someone that works with my hands and knows these things. Uh, he can actually get a proper idea of what the Ark looked like. He, he was even saying, I think I could build it, actually. I, I think from the measurements there, I might be able to knock it out and make a good shape of it. Me, it would probably look like a box. It would just be a square. Uh, but when we think about that Old Testament uh, Ark of the Covenant that was there, it was wonderfully made of the, the, the chosen wood, and it was overlaid completely with gold. But what was set on the top of the Ark? And it covered it completely. The mercy seat. The mercy of God set above the Ark of the Covenant. What was inside the Ark? The Ten Commandments. Other items as well, but, but predominantly the, the law. So here's the picture that God gave even in the Old Testament. Listen, here's the Ark. Here's where the presence of God is. He put inside the measure that no man could measure up to. In essence, He said, you have fallen short. Sounds a lot like Romans. For all have come short of the glory of God, right? But over top of our shortcomings is what? God's mercy. See, when John writes this, he's saying to us, listen, God is greater than our shortcomings. He's greater than our failures. He can overcome our doubts. Psalm 103, verses 2 and 3, David wrote this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities? Who healeth all 
thy diseases. Peter, as he came to Jesus there in John chapters 20 and 21, was confronted with the fact that he had in fact failed. And I'm certain that within him his heart was gone. I cursed you. I left. I ran. I fled. But at that resurrection morn, when Jesus saw Mary in the garden, what did he say? Go get the disciples and who is the person he named specifically? Peter. Peter, I'm greater than your heart. I'm greater than your shortcomings. I'm greater than your sin. What happens when our feelings take over and we say, well, maybe I wasn't saved or maybe God's just not keeping me saved or maybe I just can't stay saved. What we're saying is God is not greater. My feelings, my, my heart, my intentions are greater than God is. And John here reminds us, no, you're not. God is greater than your heart. His omniscience also is greater. He says there in verse 20 at the end, For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and, notice, knoweth all things. Do you think that God did not realize that you would struggle in your Christian walk? Of course He knew we would. We're human. He, he created Adam the perfect man. He had Eve the perfect woman. And they failed. You and I are imperfect because of our sin nature. He knows that we're going to struggle. And in his omniscience, excuse me, he, the Bible says he knows all things. He knows your weakness. Do you know what we need to do? We need to go to him and ask for help in our weaknesses. God is greater than our hearts, but letter B, a clear heart does give us confidence. A clear heart gives us confidence. In fact, he says so in verse 21. He said, listen, just in case you fail, which we all have on a side note, and just in case you've fallen short of my standard, even after your salvation, he said, I'm greater than your heart. Don't let your heart condemn you. Don't let your flesh and the devil get the best of you. Trust in that saving grace that was once delivered unto you, that was once given. And he says, but you're going to have a better chance at confidence in your life if you live clear of sin. So while he deals with what happens when we fail, his main focus is how we ought to live Sin free. He says in verse 21, he says, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. Now what he says in a very simple statement and in a very simple way is this. If you don't keep sinning in your life, you will have a lot more confidence in the salvation you have. You might say, well, pastor, that's probably the biggest dumb moment you've had all year. And I would say to you, it is. Sometimes the Word of God needs to be just plainly obvious. And that's what it is here. Listen, if your heart does not condemn you, if you're living without sin, if you're trying to live holy, if you're trying to live separated, if you're trying to take the world out of your life rather than pouring more garbage in, he said if you live with a clear conscience towards God, then your confidence will go up. So I ask us this morning, when we look at the power of God, are we living defeated? If you are, remember, God's greater than your heart. Seek forgiveness for those sins. Get them resolved. Get them taken care of and move on for God. If you are living with confidence, continue to do so. Have that clear conscience, void of offense, as the Bible teaches us to do. It is far better to live in obedience to God's word and have a clear conscience, void of offense towards God and man. John says that where we are really sure is found in the believer when we are living right by God. So we have confidence in a powerful God. But number two this morning, we also find confidence in the power of prayer. Your heart will be confident when you are trusting wholly in the power of God to keep you and to keep you from sin. But it will also have confidence when you are beginning to pray. Obedience toward God and a clear conscience brings really a boldness 
to our prayers. So this is a first step to having bold prayers. It has been well said, the value of a persistent prayer is not that He will hear us, but that we will finally hear Him. Think about that. It's not that He will hear us. God hears us the first time. That's why when you pray a sinner's prayer for salvation, He hears you. And He gives the gift of salvation that quickly. But here we have to understand that prayer often will change how we see a subject, how we approach life. Hebrews 10.19 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest of the uh, holies uh, by the blood of Jesus. You and I can enter into the holiest of holies coming into that presence of God Almighty, not in our own merit, but because of Jesus Christ. And so there is power that is found in our salvation. Power to pray. But notice he says in verse 22 what kind of prayers these should be. Letter A, it's a concise prayer. It's a specific prayer. It's concise. He says in verse 22, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him. It's a concise prayer. James says this in James 4 and verse 3, You ask not and receive not, because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your own lust. And there's a lot of great principles in there about prayer, and we'll deal with those sometime. I'm certain we've, uh, I know about a year ago we preached that passage, but we think about that thought. He said, listen, uh, one, some of us pray to consume it upon our own lust. Uh, some of the ladies I know in the church had individual yard sales yesterday. Uh, Jessica was having a yard sale at our house because she wanted to get money to buy me a birthday present. And uh, apparently I'm not having a real good birthday this year. But anyway, it was, uh, that's just kind of the way it went for us. But, but she told me, she goes, I prayed specifically that we would have a good yard sale so I could get a lot of money for your birthday. And I got to thinking, should I tell her about James 4.3? And we talked about it, we laughed about it, it was fun. But you think about that. Sometimes in a real serious sense, though, don't we do that? God, I just pray that you'll give me a raise because we need to pay for these cars. Well, James 4.3 says, if I pray and I ask it to consume it upon my own lust, that prayer is being asked amiss, right? Well, I just need a bigger house. <laughs> we got another one on the way, and my in-laws might move in with us, and man, we just don't have any room. We can't have a guest room. We don't have anybody that can do it. Be careful. Now, praying for the right thing is good. Praying for it in the right way, but if I pray for a bigger house so that I can just have more space and a better status, I can pray so that I can consume it upon my own lust, right? So be careful how we pray. And what John is telling us here is that when we pray, be concise, be specific. How many of us ever prayed, God, I just pray that you'll help all our missionaries, every missionary, everywhere around the world, I pray that you'll help them today? Well, that's a great prayer. I think it comes from a good, well intended heart. Uh, of prayer. But what John says is that when you and I ought to pray, we ought to pray specifically for things. He says in there the word whatsoever. Whatsoever gives an idea of individually. I'm going to pray for my wife. I'm going to pray for my son. I'm going to pray specifically for my son that he will find a good spouse someday. He's 10 months old, Pastor. I know it's never too early to start praying. Because I know what it's like where I've. Or, Better take that back. I, I was going to say, I've seen what it's like when someone marries the wrong person. I do not know what it's like. I'm married to the right person. I know what it was like to almost marry the wrong person in my life. And so I understand what it's like to seriously pray for the right things specifically. Do you know why a lot of our prayers go unanswered? We don't ask for them specifically. God, I just pray that you'll help my day today, and I pray that everything that I do will be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Really? 
So that when you sin, you say, well, God, I asked you that everything I do today would be pleasing to you. How about saying, listen, keep my eyes guarded today. Help me watch out what I see on TV, what I see on the Internet. Uh, help my tongue be guarded about what I talk about with the ladies at church and the ladies at work. God, help my ears to be protected so that I don't have sin that comes into my life. You see, a concise prayer will build confidence because then when the thing comes on TV and you turn the channel, you say, God, thank you for helping me with my prayers. God, thank you for helping my heart. God, help, thank you for helping me in this way. A concise, specific prayer is what God wants. When we pray those things, John says, our confidence goes up. Our confidence is boosted. Why? Because when God answers a specific prayer, man, what does that do for you? Boy, it sends you through the roof. You know what? God, He may be answering your general prayer. He may be answering your nebulous prayer. But you will never know it. And so your confidence will never go up. You want a confident heart, start praying specifically for things. Asking for things from God. As we think about this, uh, I, I wrote down here just what I pray for every day. This is how I start my devotions. It's not to make a merit badge for me, uh, but simply to just let you know. Uh, my prayers list includes this, and I, I put them in order and I have them on my prayer list. Die to self today. Number two, be filled with the Spirit today. Number three, pray that my faith would increase today. It's not always in that particular order, but those three are the first three. Why? They're for me. I'm no good to my spouse if I'm not good to God personally, if I'm not right with God personally. Number four, I pray specifically for my church family needs. Uh, I pray specifically for my ministry needs. Uh, I pray specifically for building needs. I pray specifically for our missionary families and pastor friends or missionary friends that I have. And my list will go on and on, but that's just seven things that are on my prayer list. And sometimes my prayer time can take a half hour to get through that. You say, you pray specifically? Yeah. Pastor, do you ever fall asleep? I try not to. Because then I'm showing disrespect to God and I'm showing God that I'm not serious about this prayer. Why should He be? We ought to ask specifically in a concise manner for God to work in our lives. But letter B, it's not just a concise prayer that John mentions here in verse 22. He mentions a conditioned prayer as well. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him. Well, that can't be said in my life. Boy, that's not true of me. Well, it should be. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him. Why? Because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. You see, there's a condition to getting an answer to our prayer. Do you know what that condition is? Obedience. See, I told you that obedience and, and that idea of fellowship, coming together and being one with one another, it is important to God. He said, if you're not obedient, why would I answer your prayer request? Keep His commandments, please Him, and He will answer your prayers. I heard the story of a man who came and talked to his pastor about his unsaved son. He prayed, but his son had not been saved. So he asked the pastor why, and the pastor quoted him Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not what? Hear me. He told the man this, and he said, check and see if there's anything in your heart that's an iniquity, that's not right with God. The man took care of a problem that had been persisting for years, and within two weeks his son had accepted Jesus Christ. Now I'm not saying that will happen in your life, but I'm saying the principle is a very true thing. If sin is in my life, my prayers will not make it past the ceiling. They'll echo around so others can hear, but God's not listening. It is a conditioned prayer. John says your confidence will not go up because if sin resides in your life, it affects your prayer life. And when your prayers are not answered, you start to doubt your relationship with God. Take care of sin. Get your prayer life on track and your confidence will go up. 
Confidence in a powerful God. Confidence through prayer. A powerful prayer, excuse me. But number three, confidence in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Confidence in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Verses 23 and 24 talk about this. This abiding presence of God in our lives, the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit bears witness with our heart in another passage. And so we think here what John says. He says, and this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. Jason is doing a wonderful job in our Sunday school hour for us and here for the Foundations class going through the fruits of the Spirit. I'm thoroughly enjoying it myself because it's wonderful to see another godly man in our church share with us his heart from the Word of God. Um, And so this morning we were dealing with gentleness, and and you really kind of think about that at some point. Uh, Being a gentle person, uh, we're laughing at the house because Jessica knows any time... That Drew, we hear a uh-oh, and Daddy starts laughing real hard. He's like, I'm trying to toughen Drew up, you know? You bonk your nose, don't cry about it. That's not going to solve things in life. You just laugh. You fall and whack your head on the ground, you know, you just laugh. Come on, tickle, ha, ha, ha. No tears. So now she knows every time I cry, or I laugh, that Drew should be crying. So she'll come in and go, is he okay? Is he all right? And so we heard about gentleness this morning. Men, we do struggle with gentleness. I think that's a very fair statement. I think sometimes as men, we are taught to have that tough, crusty exterior and not let anything ever show. Okay. But you still ought to act gently with people. You ought to have a gentleness to your nature so that you can deal with one another in the right way. And that's how the Holy Spirit helps us. He comes into our life and has, helps us have love one for another. You know, you ought to care about one another. If somebody in here hurts, you ought to hurt. If somebody in here is rejoicing, as we saw in the book of Romans this morning, you ought to rejoice. We ought to have love one for another in our lives. Sometimes the phrase or the thought of the Holy Spirit gets kind of twisted around by other religions and maybe it gets twisted around by the New Age movement. I heard in the Yellow Pages in Sedona, Arizona, uh, it was uh, the Yellow Page ad for a New Age community. And the ad said this, it was a place to have harmony with the spirits of the world. Here's what they offered. Psychics, spiritual counseling, medicine card readings, aura photography. I don't know where you get your aura photograph, but they had aura photography, astrology, rapid eye technology, hypnotherapy, shamanic healings would go on. Uh, Parapsychology psychology was going on. I can't even read it, so I don't even know what it is. Lymphatic manipulations, crystal readings, Aura cleansing, reflexology, sensory deprivation, and tank floating. I have no, anybody know what tank floating is? I did not know what tank floating was. I assumed if after all that what would happen in a tank floating is that you had died and you were just floating on the top of the water. I don't know in a tank somewhere. But this is what the world tries to do to give peace in their life. To bring calmness. To bring an aura. To bring a satisfaction. See, I could work in one of these places. Couldn't I? That's what they try to do. And by the way, we're really no different. We try to go outside of the Scriptures. We try to go outside of the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. And rather than obeying and trusting in Him and walking in peace and harmony and in contentment in our life, we have turmoil because we try to find help outside of God. We try to find help from sources that are not found in the Scriptures. By the way, all of Satan's substitutes for prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit uh, uh, are, are false, are empty. In fact, John says so in verse uh, 1 of chapter 4, if you'll look there. He says, Beloved, believe not every what? Spirit, 
but try the spirits, whether they are of God. I would say to our, unfortunately, some of our Pentecostal friends uh, who would get in the spirit and run around and fall on the floor and flop like a fish and say they're filled with the spirit as they jibber jabber in some other kind of language. As they were there doing that, I would ask them, try the spirits. That's what John reminds them of. You say, Pastor, they're all demonically possessed. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying try the spirits. I know they're not filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Because the filling of the Holy Spirit comes in a much different manner. We find that in Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. It is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, long-suffering, meekness, those things. I know I've got them out of order. But those are the things that ought to be in our life. It never is once mentioned that the fruit of the Spirit is to flop on the floor speaking in an unknown tongue. It's never said in those, those uh, statements and those fruits of the Spirit that we're to lay our hands on and heal. And so be careful when we try to substitute what the work of the Holy Spirit really is. There are two aspects of the presence of the Holy Spirit that need to be uh, for you and in your life. Letter A, believe on the Son. Believe on the Son, Jesus Christ. That's what verse 23 is all about. You and I have to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Without a saving knowledge of Jesus, there is no presence of the Holy Spirit. If you today say, listen, there is no conviction in my life. Uh, There has been no convicting of sin. When I do something wrong, it doesn't bother me. Then I would say to you, you should question your salvation. You should be concerned about the eternal destiny of your soul. Because without Jesus Christ, there is no conviction of the Holy Spirit. Uh, You are still of your father, the devil. You are still living in your sin. And without salvation through Jesus Christ, there is no working of the Holy Spirit. John 3, 16-18 says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. If your heart does not condemn you or convict you of sin each day, then you are in fact, as these verses say, condemned already. It's only through the name of Jesus Christ and His work on Calvary. It doesn't matter how much, how many rocks you worship, how many crystals you collect, how much reflexology, reflexology or sensory deprivation, how many tanks you float in, how many beads you pray to, or how often you run around a church house. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you don't know or feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Without Christ, you and I would be condemned. But let her be, once we have believed in Jesus Christ, believed on the Son we see that we receive the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit. Look in verse 24. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he, that's Christ, in him, and the Spirit. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. Romans 8, 9 says this, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that in the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of God, he is what? None. Of his. Paul said, listen, if you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, you are none of His. You're not God's. So having the Holy Spirit is a good thing. Having that conviction, having those thoughts of, well, man, I, I, just, I just feel like I used to be saved. And, and man, now I'm just kind of down in the dumps and I just feel like everything's caving in on me. I wonder if I really had a decision of salvation. I would say that that conviction in your life is really a positive That conviction is the working of the Holy Spirit to kind of turn or to tweak or to work in your life and and, and to bring you back into a good and right standing with God. I have had people say to me, 
I cannot overcome a sin that is in my life. My response is, you're right. You can't. It's not possible. I can't overcome any sin in my life. Except, how? Through the help of the Holy Spirit. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me, the Bible says. Uh, with men it's impossible, Jesus said, but with God all things are possible. So in our lives, if you want to have that confidence boost, then you need to live without sin and overcome that sin through the help and the presence of the Holy Spirit every day. A Christian realizes a confident Christian life because of what we find over in verse 4 of chapter 4. Look over there. He says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He that is in you, what? Than He that is in the world. And by the way, we often use this verse as a competition or a, 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 a measuring out of, well, God's greater than the devil. And that's certainly an apt association. But did you know that you and I and our flesh are of this world as well? And so I think a, a second meaning, and just as equally as important, is greater is He that is in you, the Holy Spirit, than He, your natural flesh, which is of this world. So God is greater than our hearts. God is greater than the devil. God is greater than our flesh if we just trust Him and obey. If you've ever been saved, excuse me, if you've never been saved this morning, your heart, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, may be convicting you of being a Christian. Maybe. I don't know. And maybe that's the deep weight and the conviction that you feel. If you're saved today and you want your confidence to go up, you want to have that confident heart that John here talks about that can be in your life, then you need to start trusting wholly in the power of God to overcome sin. You need to trust confidently in the power that can be in prayer. And you need to start praying specifically for things and seeing God answer. And you need to live in the presence of the Holy Spirit day by day. That's what Ephesians 5.18 is. It's a controlling element of the Holy Spirit. He says, be filled with the Spirit. That word filled means to be controlled, directed, and guided by the Holy Spirit every single day.